0: Uh, I spoke with a former student. Now am I on? Okay. I spoke with a uh, former student this week who said that he is listening to the uh, sermons and the discussions on Matthew. Uh, when I mentioned the uh, stopping for the uh, Q and A, he said that I seem to be getting better at. Uh, repeating the question, so I'll try to remember to do that, uh, otherwise it's just all of a sudden I'm, I'm answering something, you have to guess what the, what the question is. So our discussions continue with the theme of the kingdom of heaven, which is also called the kingdom of God, which is now among us and is also uh, coming in its fullness at the return of the Lord. And we're going to see some texts related specifically to that in the next few weeks. Uh, last week, we looked at the kingdom mindset, which is humility rather than hard-heartedness. And this was given specific application regarding divorce, uh, where Jesus says, because of the hardness of your heart, God allowed you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning it was not so. And then regarding who's great in the kingdom, bringing the child and saying that the, children, the kingdom is of such as these. We also saw the rich young uh, man whose heart was hardened towards the kingdom uh, because of his wealth. uh, Confirming words of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. And then we ended with Peter asking about the reward of his fellow disciples who had made the kingdom first place in their behavior. And Jesus said they would sit on thrones of the tribes of Israel and that all who gave up aspects of this life for Jesus' name's sake, would receive multiples in return and also eternal life. And we're going to pick up at that section. I'm actually going to pick it up at 1927 today because that last verse in chapter 19 is a tie-in to chapter 20. And so these really go together. So we read in verse 27 of 19... Peter said to him, Behold, we have left everything and followed you. What then shall there be for us? And Jesus said, Truly I say to you, that you who have followed me in the regeneration when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you also will sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or farms for my name's sake will receive many times as much and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. Now in that context, he continues to speak. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. When he had agreed with the laborers for a denarius for a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And he went out about the third hour, saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And to those he said, uh, you also go into the vineyard, and whatever is right I will give you. And so they went. Again he went out about the sixth and the ninth hour and did the same. And about the eleventh hour he went out and found others standing. And he said to them, why have you been standing here idle all day? And they said, because no one hired us. And he said, you also go into the vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last group to the first. When when those hired about the eleventh hour came, each one received a denarius. You recall that's the amount he had negotiated with the first workers. And those, uh, when those who were hired first came, they thought that they would receive more, but each of them also received a denarius. And when they received it, they grumbled at the landowner, saying, These last men have worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the scorching heat of the day. And he answered and said to one of them, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what is yours and go. If I wish to give to this last man the same as you, um, it is not unlawful for me to do what I want with what is my own. Or is your eye envious because I am generous? So the last shall be first and the first last. Now, this is a uh, parable that is understood in a lot of ways. If you go to commentaries and you go to historical books, preaching on this, this is all over the map. In part, depending on what the people are thinking about when they use the parable. In other words, those who want to use this as a parable of evangelism talk about those who have served God their whole life and those who have come to God at the last minute and they each receive eternal life. And while I think that that uh, applies in terms of the truth, I don't think that's what this text is about. There are others who think that this is about the Gentiles coming late and the Jews who have served God under a covenant. Uh, You know, the Gentiles receive the same as those who were under the covenant. Uh, The first shall be last and the last first. And again, while I think there is some truth to that belief, I'm not sure that's what's being taught here. There are many other uh, notions. But I want us to keep in mind that... Uh, we have a comment that's said at the beginning of the parable and at the end. The first shall be last and the last first. It is explaining that. And that is being talked about in the context of the disciples receiving their reward. And it's in a broader context that we have seen in uh, the scriptures. So my view is that the key to this parable is to remain In the context of Matthew's gospel, which has been talking about uh, the idea of humility as the mindset of the kingdom. There is in this life a striving for fairness and justice and equality. And we believe that those who work the longest and give up the most will be placed first and will receive the most. Actually, these receive what is fair. Those who are in the least category, but are humble, they went out not knowing what they would receive. They become the first and receive the most by comparison in that sense. um, Because God makes the judgment and his ways are not ours. Those who were first received what was agreed upon. They were not injured. Uh, Those who expected least received more than they expected because of the generosity of the owner. And many interpreters see in this the grace of God. This is how the kingdom will be. Those who place high expectations on their reward will be given what is their due because their focus is on the agreement. God will owe me for obeying him. Uh, those who know who expect little will find that the Lord is gracious and generous, and in this way, the first will be last and the last first. Now, I believe this because the issues of humility are talked about in chapters eighteen and nineteen, and then again in chapter twenty, which tells me that jesus is is reminding us about this notion of humility rather than greatness. He who will be great in the kingdom is the one who does the commandments and teaches others. He who will be least in the kingdom is the one who ignores them, right? There is a response to God and an obedience to God, but if we're calculating it and we're working that out, I think that it, it diminishes that and it has this sense of puffing us up. I'm owed this. In reality, what do we have that we didn't get from God? And there is really nothing. Even if we give to him good work, our ability to do that came from him. And so I think that humility is part of the issue here. So, we pick up at the... Uh, well, before we go on to verse 17 here. Um, we'll stop the tape. I'll try to remember a question. Back into the text and uh, we're at uh, verse 17 as Jesus was about to go up to Jerusalem he took the 12 disciples aside by him, by themselves and on the way he said to them behold we are going up to Jerusalem and the son of man will be delivered to the chief priests and the scribes and they will condemn him to death And he will be handed over to the Gentiles to mock and scourge and crucify him. And on the third day, he will be raised up. Now, it's fascinating that Matthew gives us this statement and then goes on to something else. And I believe that he is pointing to something that Jesus has been doing. All along, he's telling them that he is going to die, that he is going to suffer. They are seeing him as Lord and as King Messiah. And they have no idea of the suffering and the humiliation that he is going to suffer in obedience to God. And so, we need to look at Philippians chapter 2 to get the context of this. The Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter 2 gives us a picture of this mindset of the kingdom. Uh, And it is, I think, useful, um, particularly in a culture that thinks everything is about having self-confidence and making your plan and planning your work and all of that instead of uh, trusting in God and being obedient in a humble, humble state. So the Apostle Paul in Philippians 2 verse 3 says, Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind. Regard one another as more important than yourself. Do not look on your own personal interests, but also on the interests of others. Have this attitude, this mind in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking on the form of a bondservant. And being made in the likeness of man, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And for this reason also, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow of those who are in earth and on earth in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. To the glory of God the Father. Now that text gives us a, the one who of all could say this is who I am. Who empties himself into the humiliation of becoming one of us. And then being found like one of us, he doesn't become the greatest of us, he becomes the despised of us, and he goes to the point of the cross, awaiting the Father to bring him into his exaltation. That is the mindset of the kingdom. Those who are of the kingdom have a mindset that doesn't think about me and my place, but thinks about how I can do for others. And that is going to be seen in the rest of this chapter. But uh, Matthew makes sure that this statement of Jesus is placed there because Jesus is in the midst of ministering to and serving in his humiliation and in his humility in that context. So I'm going to stop there. We'll see if there are any comments or thoughts. Thoughts about that, but if you have them. Okay, we're going to go on. It's one of those quiet days. All right, so now Matthew picks it up at verse 20. Then the mother of the sons of Zebedee, that's James and John, came to Jesus with her sons, bowing down and making a request of him. And he said to her, What do you want? And she said, Command that in your kingdom these two sons of mine may sit on your right and on your left. Now, I want you to catch what's going on. This has been going on in Matthew for a while. They ask God, they ask Jesus, Who's, who's the greatest in the kingdom? And he brings him a child. Lest you become as this child. Lest you become nothing. You're not entering the kingdom, right? Of such, they're blessing the children. Get these children out of here. Right? And, the, and, he, and he says, allow the children to come to me of such is the kingdom of heaven. You see this pattern? The pattern is that uh, the rich young ruler, how hard is it for a wealthy man to enter the kingdom? We gave up everything. What are we going to get? You're going to receive thrones in the kingdom. Wow, I want mine next to Jesus. You can just see this. They are thinking like Americans. Americans. I'm setting my career path, and I'm going to be significant, right? And so the mother comes and says, put my sons on your left and on your right. So now we continue the text. Jesus said, you do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I am about to drink? He's just told them what that cup is. That's a suffering cup. Father, if it po- it's possible, let this cup pass from me. He will cry out, right? He knows how much there is of suffering in this process. And they go, we're able. Man. And he said to them, My cup you shall drink. But to sit on my right and on my left, this is not mine to give. It is for those for whom it is prepared by my Father. You can see in Jesus' words, even a uh, humility towards the Father in that context, something his disciples are not getting. And hearing this, verse 24, the ten become indignant with the two brothers. Now, they're not indignant. How dare you be so arrogant! We should be humble. That's not their attitude. Their attitude is, wish I'd have thought of that. One of us could be in, in the right and on the left, right? You can see they're focusing on where am I in the kingdom and not where am I in humble obedience to the Lord, which is the kingdom mindset. So Jesus called them together. And he said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great men exercise authority over them. It is not this way among you. Whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant, and whoever wishes to be first among you will be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So what Jesus does here is he basically says to them, "Uh, you guys aren't getting it. This is not the Roman Empire. This is not about kings and mighty men and reputation that goes all the way back to Babel and beyond that, all the way back to Cain who built a city for his son Enoch and made him a significant person when there was another Enoch who was not because he walked with God and God took him. There is a mindset of the kingdom that is humility before God and in context of each other rather than competition for who can be the greatest. And Jesus says, your best example of that is what I've been doing with you all this time. What an incredible message about the mindset of the kingdom being humility. I'm reminded often of Moses, who we think of as a great leader, obedient to God. But whenever the people were griping to Moses, Moses would say, Who am I? In other words, he didn't say, I'm Moses. But he did one time. Do I have to make water for you? Right? That was not a good plan. But the idea was that the Servant leadership of the scriptures is a very important notion of understanding that you do not think of yourself as greater than the others and you serve them and minister to them in lowliness of mind. Now that's not easy to do. I know that a lot of people go into helping professions because if I'm helping you then I'm okay. And there's a sense of arrogance that comes out of that. The reality needs to be off ourself and on to the other who is suffering and who is in need and who is hurting. And that will make us great in the kingdom. That will make us exalted by God. It will be the Lord who will say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Right? Don't praise yourself to... The proverb says, let another man praise you, right? And he doesn't mean pay him to advertise for you. What it's talking about is out of your works will become a gratitude to God for what you've done. And that mindset seems to be throughout these several chapters in in Matthew's gospel. So I'm going to stop there and see if there are comments or thoughts. So the question is... How do you keep a mindset of humility, right? And not go to ego. Um, it's tough, and we all know that. Anyone who has tried to humble themselves, we fall into a false humility. Where somebody says, oh, that was really great. And we go, oh, it wasn't really that great. Come on, tell me, tell me again, right? Uh, that That's a danger. And our culture is filled with false humility. I'll tell you... Um, Two things that will uh, provide humility. One is to count your sins. Every time I'm thinking I'm making headway here, I look at the history of my walk with God. And as I jokingly say, I've been faithful to him several times. He's been faithful to me steadily. Right. I mean, I look back and I think this part of my ministry is pretty. And then I realize you look at it clearly. You realize how much you you miss the mark. You fall off the trail, and you have to get back on there. So counting your sins is one. The other one is counting your blessings. Because you realize that you did nothing to deserve that. When I think of what I've had the opportunity to do in Bible translation, in pastoring, in teaching, things that I never thought were even remotely possible and those who knew me knew they were not remotely possible. And yet, I've had those opportunities. That's got to be the grace of God. And so I think if you keep one eye on your... Fallenness, it's hard then to, to be puffed up. Uh, you should never compare yourself to another person because you're comparing apples to oranges. We usually compare the best of ourselves with the worst of another person, right? And the other thing is counting your blessings and realizing how much God has given you. That tends to then take our mind off of us uh, and put it on, on the needs of others. So that's the best I can, I can give you on that. So the question is, are they waiting for a kingdom to come that is post-resurrection? Or are they thinking of a kingdom to come? Judaism at the time of Jesus had somewhat lost its sense of a suffering Messiah and a reigning Messiah. And really were focused on the reigning Messiah. That's why in the next chapter, Jesus is going to enter into Jerusalem. Because it says he's on his way to Jerusalem. And they think Jesus is the Messiah. And they're expecting him to be crowned King Messiah. And because he's got the ability to heal. He's got the ability to feed. He's got the ability to raise the dead. He's going to be the ultimate army captain. And Rome is going to be done. And I think they think the kingdom is about to happen right now. And they have no idea what is going on. And they probably think the cup that he's talking about. Is there may be some skirmishes. Right? But I don't think they have a clue about, about that. And I think it's important to understand. That the pathway to the kingdom. Has always been suffering. That's the book of Hebrews. That cloud of witness. Is somewhat people who got victories. But mostly people who suffered through pretty hard things. So yeah, I think that's what it is. Alright, so any other thoughts on that? Okay, we're going to go back and we're going to pick it up then at the end of the chapter, beginning of verse 29. Uh, wow, I'm going through time. We got, we got out earlier, but this is really quick. So, it says, as they were leaving Jericho, so they're on their way to Jerusalem, And you know the the traditional way for Jews from the Galilee to go to Jerusalem is to go over to the river Jordan from the Sea of Galilee and then down the river to Jericho and then up to Jerusalem. That way they don't go through Samaria because the Jews tended to avoid going through Samaria. And so, that's the pathway that they are. They get down to Jericho. And while they're in Jericho, uh, a large crowd is following him. Of course, they believe he is the Messiah. They're going to put down the what uh, Rabbi uh, Fisher calls the green carpet in, uh, in a little while uh, at, the, at what we call the triumphal entry. Um, and while they're there, two blind men sitting by the road, hearing that Jesus was passing by, cry out, Lord have mercy on us, Ben David, son of David. That's the messianic title of the son of David, who will sit on the throne of his father David, and will rule over Israel and the nations. They are focused on Jesus, not as the suffering high priest, but as the reigning king not the what we call the first coming but the second coming. And the crowd tells them to shut up because they're not important. They're blind. There's stuff going on. He's going to be crowned king. We're in the thing. This is going to be great. You blind guys shut up. Right? We're back to the who's important and who's not important. Who do we focus on and who do we not focus on? Who do we care about and who do we not care about? It says, they cried out all the more. We're not, we're not going with that. We know what this is. If he's son of David, in the kingdom, the blind will see. The deaf will hear. The lame will walk. And we want in on that, right? Right? Jesus stopped and called to them and said, What do you want me to do? And they said, Lord, we want our eyes to be opened. And Jesus moved with compassion in the midst of all he's about to face. Looks upon the least, the outcast, the nothing, and says, He touches their eyes. And immediately they regain their sight. And they follow him. Now, I know for for the people. The people are going, here it is. Right? We're going to go in. He's going to be crowned. He's going to be king. Rome is gone. We are back. Right? And they see everything he's doing in the light of the kingdom. And he's saying, this is the kingdom. But the entrance to the kingdom is humility. The kingdom is for the humble. The kingdom attitude is to endure the cup that God gives us. For the purpose of getting to the kingdom. Because the access to the kingdom is through this one who will suffer on our behalf. And we don't suffer for anyone, but we suffer with him. Paul says that I may make full the sufferings of God. Of Christ, So, a very uh, important thing, Matthew leaves us now on the edge of the triumphal entry, uh, and he has given us again and again and again that the purpose of the message of Jesus is to trust God, to be humble, and to by love serve one another. He will do one more time this thing to his disciples when he will wash their feet at the Last Supper. If I, your master, washes your feet, you can wash each other's feet. He is really trying to teach us that what we're supposed to be is caring about each other's needs. The strong bear the infirmity of the weakness. You're not strong so everybody will praise you. You're strong so you can be a servant of those who have weakness. That's the point. So let's, uh, let me uh, give my conclusion here. The kingdom then is for those who are the last and the least. As Corinthians says, God has not chosen the mighty and the strong. He's chosen the weak and the base things. To bring to nothing the things that are. So that no flesh could boast in God. Even when we have obeyed God and done things that are good for the kingdom. We are supposed to say we are only unworthy and unprofitable servants who have simply done our duty. That's what Jesus taught his disciples to say. Not, yes I am great, thank you. right? Uh, Or, why aren't you following me? Because I'm great in the kingdom. None of that is is taught in the teachings of Jesus. He is always teaching us to be meek and lowly and let God exalt us. Let's pray.